God, help us to get down to business and to looking in your word and learning from it. God, we thank you that it is well with our souls because of our Savior. And God, we thank you that not only is it well with our soul, but Lord, you want to fill our souls with not only your Holy Spirit, but also with your word. And God, I pray in these moments ahead that the word of God might be magnified in such a way that each one of us would see how your grace leads us and upholds us through trials. Thank you, Father, for the testimony of grace in the passage of Scripture that we're going to be studying. Thank you that, as you said to Paul, your grace is sufficient for us. Remind us that your power is made perfect in our weakness as we give ourselves over to you and as we trust in your grace on a day-to-day basis. God, for hearts that might be heavy this morning, for Christians that might be struggling, for people that have not yet come to faith in Christ, God, help them to hear about your grace this day. Thank you that it's greater than our sins. Thank you, Father, that your grace will carry us through any trial that we face. So, Lord, again, help us to hear from you, from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read these verses to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. And, folks, we're going to read these verses, and then to fully understand these verses, we're going to have to go back and look at some other passages of Scripture. So we're actually not going to get to this passage until next week, but we're going to be pointing toward this passage of Scripture, I pray, in everything that we say. And I believe that this is really the first time in all the years that I've been here that I've really made an effort to understand in my own life this passage of Scripture. Paul is going to talk about boasting. He's still going to talk about visions and revelations from the Lord, a thorn in the flesh. What in the world is he talking about? And I think all of us are going to be encouraged to find out that he is speaking about the grace of God. But listen as I read these 10 verses, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, I must boast. There's nothing to be gained by it, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, and I'll mention this again next week, it was not uncommon for rabbis to be talking about themselves in third person. And they would say, I know a man, Paul would say this, because he's already got a crowd that's angry because they think that he's a braggart. And so he's going to use the third person approach, but later on he's going to identify that it did happen to him. But listen to this. I know a man, and look at that little phrase, in Christ, the phrase that Paul uses so often. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, and folks, I'd read this many times, but I didn't pick up. That expression, that time schedule there is so important, and we'll speak to that next week, okay? I I can't wait myself to get to next week. Uh, Y'all come on, laugh with me. Loosen up just a little bit, okay? I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Can you imagine being in the presence of God? And this is where Paul was taken. Caught up. That's the same expression used to describe the rapture of the church, folks. Man, he is not, 
He is not just talking about some everyday ordinary experience for him. He's saying, man, this changed my life. And if we get caught up in the things of God and if we can see Jesus as who he is, he will change us forever and ever. Fourteen years ago, I was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body. I do not know. God knows. And he heard, listen to this, he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not be utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. That's a strange statement, isn't it? Though if I wish to boast, I should not be a fool, for I should be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. And to keep me. Now, here's where he identifies himself. He is the one. Verse 7. And to keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times, three times I besought the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And listen to God's response to those three prayers. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Quickly. The definition that we've been using for grace is found in the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible. Grace can be defined in many ways, but this is one of the definitions. God's unmerited, free, spontaneous love for sinful man revealed and made effective in Jesus Christ. Another way that it could be put, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. We've also identified that all of the Word of God, all of the Bible talks about God's grace in Christ. The Old Testament points toward the cross, which is the centerpiece of God's grace, the cross. In the Old Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, reveal the cross or reveal God's grace through the cross. And the rest of the New Testament points back to the cross. And folks, we said from the very beginning that we would examine God's amazing grace revealed in at least five ways. We've studied the first two his saving grace, his grace that brings peace. And today, we will look, today and next Sunday, at God's grace that leads us and upholds us through trials. And then we'll look at God's grace as he promised in his word that would be with us throughout our lives. And God's grace will be experienced by the Christian or the believer throughout eternity. Well, folks, before we can fully understand the meaning of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10, we need to understand some very important information about the church at Corinth and Paul's love for that church. And again, this is just very simple and plain, but you see the, the letters were, were, were designated to churches in Corinth. And, and folks, 
I just want to give you some historical facts about Corinth. If you've come to Sunday school, if you've come to preaching over the years, you've heard a lot of bad things about Corinth. And the notes that I'm about to give you are from the Full Life Study Bible and also from Warren Wiersbe. Corinth, an actual city, an ancient city of Greece, was in many ways the most prominent Greek city of Paul's time. In other words, we might say Corinth was the New York city of Paul's day. And folks, the city, and and again, I'm going to be quoting out of the Full Life Study Bible, it was intellectually arrogant, materially affluent, and morally corrupt. Sin of every kind flourished in the city. And it was truly a miracle and work of God that the gospel had been preached and believed in Corinth. And folks, not only had it been preached and believed, but a church was started by Paul and co-workers. And folks, I I just want to, and if you've got your Bible, uh, I would encourage you to turn back to Acts chapter 18. And let me read these verses to you, okay? And we're going to have uh, verses 1 through 7, but I actually want to read verses 1 through 17. And y'all, please hang with me. I I know when we go back and start reading in different places, I just want to give you the foundation for understanding what Paul is saying. Okay? So Acts 18, beginning with verse 1, and the first seven verses of Acts 18 will be on the overhead, and then I'll read the other ten. Okay? After this, he, Paul, left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. I remember again, the Christians are under heavy persecution. Many of the early Christians came from Jewish backgrounds, and Aquila and Priscilla had been converted to faith in Christ, but they had to leave Rome because of their faith. And Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade. And folks, let me point something out. You know, uh, I remember in college, uh, one of the New Testament professors I had who could be a real smart aleck at times said, you guys want to make so much money in the ministry, why don't you be like Paul? Paul didn't take money for preaching. He, He was a tent maker. And so he worked on the side as a tent maker to support himself, but he preached freely and openly. I'll just leave that story behind, okay? Because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked for their trade were tent makers. And again, there's so much history about Paul in this passage of Scripture. Verse 4, he argued in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded Jews and Greeks. That's just a way of saying he went there and he preached to them. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching, verifying or testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed him and reviled him, Paul, look, Paul was a man who, who, he just was going to preach Jesus whether they killed him or not, okay? When they opposed him and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Let me continue just 
the passage on the overhead is going to stop there, but let me continue to read. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Folks, revival broke out in the New York City of that day. Verse 9, And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no man shall attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Paul stayed a year and a half in Corinth. But when Galileo was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack upon Paul and brought him to the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Galileo said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, vicious crime I should have reason to bear with you, O Jews, but since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. Folks, I've read all that to say this. The church was a miracle. But Paul, wherever he went, especially in Corinth, there was great opposition But in Corinth, because the word of God was taught and preached, and I want to tell you something that you and I as Christians and as a church must believe, that if the word of God is proclaimed and taught that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God who came to this earth, who lived, died, was buried, rose again on the third day, ascended back into heaven, will save all who call upon him, is coming back again. If we preach and teach that, guess what will happen? People will come to faith in Jesus Christ because God will honor his word. And I'm going to get ahead of myself, folks. But do you see why now that vision and those revelations that Paul mentions in in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians is so important? Because, you see, I believe that those visions happened after Paul got saved. And folks, I want to tell you something. If you got taken up into heaven and you saw Jesus and you heard things that you could not utter here on earth, and behold, in the front of your bulletin is that verse out of Isaiah, isn't it? Isn't it? And we didn't plan it that way, okay? But folks, you know what was the driving force behind Paul? He had seen the resurrected Lord, not only on the road to Damascus, but he got caught up in paradise. But I think because of that, because of the great work that God was going to do through him, Satan began to attack the church. And folks, back to First and Second Corinthians. Folks, did you know that this, these two letters are written to, to try and help the church keep things going in the right direction? I heard Adrian Rogers say one time to young preachers, you know, don't ask God to give you a church that doesn't have any problems. Every New Testament church has a problem. All of these letters were written to help keep Christians straight and going in the straight and narrow and stay on the right path. And listen to what Satan was doing at the church, attacking the church in Corinth. Members were given to sexual immorality. I'll just give you the chapter, 1 Corinthians 5. You remember that's the incest between a man's son and his stepmother? 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when they had the Lord's Supper, they had a complete meal. Some of the church members were using that as, as a time that they could stuff their bellies and drink much wine, and they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Can you imagine that happening? The church was divided. At least four different groups were competing for leadership in the church at Corinth. Let me read just to back that up, that it's true. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, listen to this. This is the first chapter of the first book. What I mean is that one of you says, I belong to Paul, I belong to Paulus, or I belong to Cephas, or Peter, or I belong to Christ, and it's not Jesus at that moment, but it is a group who calls themselves followers of Christ. All of us as Christians are followers of Christ, but this group was trying to make themselves better than the other three groups. And Paul responds in verse 13, as Christ divided, was, was Paul crucified with you, for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Folks, we must make sure that we're following the Lord Jesus Christ in our church. Amen. And another tragedy within the church at Corinth, they were, they were not united behind the gospel message because the the church was made up of different schools of thought. And Paul stayed firmly upon the gospel and the message of the cross, which is the greatest emblem of grace that we've already mentioned. And folks, let me read some verses to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, again, verses 18 to 25, and I'll just read these. Listen to what he's saying. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the what? The power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the cleverness of the clever I will thwart. Where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, Greeks seek wisdom. But what did Paul preach? We preach Christ crucified. Folks, I hope and pray that I never stand in this pulpit without mentioning that Jesus died to save us from our sins. And folks, we are in such a divided world. Yeah, Jesus was a good man, wasn't he? Oh, he spoke a lot of good wisdom, and maybe he did die on the cross. But people won't carry it any farther. Folks, let me tell you, the gospel is that the Son of God left heaven and came to this earth, and he died for us. And that's where the power is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And if we try and figure anything else out and leave the cross out, we are wrong. Whether it's from the pulpit to the Sunday school classroom or in our everyday living and Paul is preaching the cross, and that's why people are belittling him and making fun of him. And if they did it to Paul, they're going to do it to us. And I'm sure some of you might have said, well, I wish he'd preach on something beside cross and Jesus and him dying on the cross and shedding his blood. There is nothing else to preach about except that. Everything else is just good morals and trying to be good people, but we're talking about being the people of God. Amen. And this is what Paul is talking about. 
But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Now let me read one other verse to you. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, Paul says, now listen to this, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me. Woe to us if we don't, by our lives, preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the church at Corinth was under attack, but also Paul was under attack. How? Through false teachers who seemed to follow Paul after he had left a church that had been established, and they would come in, they would accuse him of being in ministry for self-gain and for self-glory and not teaching the truth. Satan also was attacking Paul by the false teachers who challenged his apostleship. And folks, who was Paul to be telling all of this stuff? Well, let me point something out. The main requirement for being an apostle was having seen the resurrected Lord. That's Acts 1.22. As those early disciples, apostles, are trying to choose another man to replace Judas. And they said, we must find someone who is a witness of the resurrection. And folks, as you and I read uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 8 through 10, and I don't know, I don't, do we have that? Yes, we do. Okay, listen to these verses. And Paul is listing the people that saw the resurrected Lord. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. But look at this next verse. And look at how many times grace is used in this verse. But by the grace of God... I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I but the grace of God within me. And folks, here's what I'm trying to say. This man, Paul, is a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not with the other 11, but on the road to Damascus. He met the resurrected Lord, right? The book of Acts, chapter 9. And in chapter 12 that we read earlier, guess what? He's caught up into paradise. And he hears things and he sees things that God says, you can't tell those things when you get back to earth. But I want you to tell, tell them about the cross. Tell them about the cross. Let me ask you something. If you and I could directly gaze into heaven right now and see Jesus sitting on the right hand of God and see those nail marks in his hands and the spear mark in his side, wouldn't we say, I believe, I believe. But he's saying, will you believe the gospel record that I sent my son for the world? Would you believe? And that's where Satan comes in and says to the world, oh, that stuff, <laughs> that stuff. Oh, that's just that religious stuff. So these false teachers would come in and ridicule everything that Paul had said. And they'd say, he's not an apostle. Something else, Satan would send many adversaries against Paul. Let me read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. Paul says, I love this verse. If you get discouraged, read this verse. 
For a wide door for the effective work is open to me, but there are many adversaries. Folks, I want to tell you something. If you try and live for Jesus, there are going to be adversaries come from Satan, and he is going to attack you. If this church tries to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, it will be attacked by Satan. There will be many adversaries, but God will give us many open doors. Consider what Paul endured for the cause of Christ and for the care of the churches. And let me, just give me a couple more minutes. I know y'all hate for me to say that, but uh, it normally takes more than a couple. But let me just read to you. Just, just follow, and if you've got, got your Bible open, and I hope you do, if you've got your Bible open, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look back to chapter 11. And let me begin reading with verse 23. And D It doesn't pick up on this screen. If you don't have your Bible, look at this, but I'm going to read two verses prior to verse 25. But Paul, defending himself against those who say it's been easy for him to be be an apostle, they think Paul's a braggart. And you see, the Corinthians were preoccupied with comparing themselves to others. And they're saying that Paul, he's just a braggart. But Paul is not bragging. But if they want to play this game, Paul will give them a brief description of what he has been through because he has been faithful to the Lord and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me begin reading with verse 23. And I'm going to be reading in the Living Bible. I'll just read straight through this, okay? They say they serve Christ, but I've served him far more. Have I gone mad to boast like this? I have worked harder, been put in jail oftener been whipped times without numbers faced death again and again and he's going to start itemizing verse 24 five different times the jews gave me their terrible 39 lashes five times 39 195 lashes not all at one time five different times paul was beaten because he was preaching the gospel verse 25 Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and he's not talking about smoking pot, okay? And again, I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I just want to make sure in today's world we understand. They literally picked up rocks and tried to kill him. And of course, remember in your mind, flashback to Acts chapter, chapter 8 or 7, where they stoned, where they stoned Stephen, Acts chapter 7. And Paul is watching. He's guarding the coats. But now Paul has been stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I was in the open sea all night and the whole day. Verse 26, I've traveled many weary miles. Someone has estimated, and I can't remember, someone has estimated how many miles Paul walked in his three missionary journeys. I've often been in great danger, listen to this, from flooded rivers, from robbers, from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the hands of the Gentiles. I've faced grave dangers from mobs in the cities, from death in the desert, in the stormy seas, from men who claim to be brothers in Christ but are not. In verse 27, I've lived with weariness, pain, sleepless night, nights. Often I've been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. Often I have shriveled with cold without enough clothing to keep warm. And then list to verse 28. Then besides all of this, I have the constant worry of how the churches are getting along. Here's a real pastor. 
with everything else that was going on, Paul's greatest burden was how the church was doing. Verse 29, who makes a mistake and I do not feel his sadness. You know what he's saying here? If anyone else is hurting, I am too. Who falls without my longing to help him? Who is spiritually hurt without my fury rising against the one who hurt him? And then he says, but if I must brag, I would rather brag about the things that show how weak I am. And you see, the people in Paul's day, those Corinthian false teachers and those elite educated folks would never confess or acknowledge their weaknesses. But Paul would. But if I must brag, I would brag about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised forever and ever, knows I tell the truth. He's saying, guys, look, God, the Father, God, the Son will back up what I'm saying. And he gives an example in verse 32. For in Damascus, now think about this for just a second. Damascus is where Paul not only came to faith in Christ, but he started his ministry. And even at the very beginning of his ministry, they were going to kill Paul. But God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ kept him safe. So let me finish that verse. But I was let down by a rope and basket from a hole in the city wall, and so I got away. And I like that. And again, the Living Bible is a prayer phrase, but look at those last two words. What popularity? Are you crazy? Paul is saying, you guys think they love me? Man, the pagan world is trying to destroy me. But here, here's what I want to get to in preparation for next Sunday, okay? Why did Paul suffer all these things? Number one, his love for Jesus Christ. He had been the chief of all sinners. And Jesus had set him free from sin, from death, and from hell. How could Paul give Jesus any less? And folks, that story is true of you and me, isn't it? He saved us from sin, death, and hell. Do we love him? Would we be willing to suffer for him? Not only physically, but would we be willing to suffer ridicule? He loved Jesus. Secondly, he loved the gospel. Romans 1.16 is, I think, one of the most powerful verses that Paul ever wrote. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So he loved the Lord. He loved the gospel. And Paul loved the church. Paul identified with the believers in the churches. Paul understood God's plan for the church. And Paul would not stop loving the church. Let me point a verse out. 2 Corinthians 15, 12, verse 15 in the Living Bible. And if you've got your Bible, you'll see this verse a little bit farther down the original passage that I read. But listen to this. Paul says, I am glad to give you myself and all I have for your spiritual good, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. Isn't that amazing? Something had happened in this man's life. What had happened? What had happened to Paul to make him suffer the things that he suffered and still be faithful? And folks, that I believe is the introduction to 2 Corinthians 12.9. 
I believe, at the beginning of his ministry. Paul not only met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, but God knew what was before him. And God allowed him to be caught up into paradise, the third heaven. And he saw things that he could not speak of. And he heard things that he could not tell others. And even after that experience, Paul had a thorn in the flesh. And you know, folks, I don't think Satan knows everything, but I believe that Satan knows when God is blessing us, he knows some of the things that God is going to do in us. And so he's going to start attacking us. And that thorn in the flesh, Paul says, was a messenger from Satan. Folks, how would you and I handle it? Paul prayed, not once, not twice, but he prayed three times. Have you ever felt like God wasn't going to answer your prayer? I wonder how Paul felt. Let's be honest, he's a human being just like you and I are. After the third time, God responded, and this was his response. My grace is sufficient for you. Praise God. It always is. And folks, sometimes I think we don't realize some of the things that happened to us. And, and I, one of, the, one of the things that has impacted me about being your pastor this many years is seeing the trials and tribulations that many of you have gone through that God has brought you through. And it's made you stronger in him. But you got through it. Why? Because God's grace is sufficient. And that's part of the gospel story. He's the Savior that never lets go of us. He gives us enough revelation to keep us going forward. And he gives us enough grace to meet every need we have. Amen. And whatever you're facing right now, I don't think, I don't think anybody's going to beat me 139 times. And again, I'm not trying to be funny or sarcastic. I don't think I'm going to be stoned. I hope not. But Satan, somehow, way, he's going to attack me and he's going to attack you and he's going to attack this church. Don't stop living for Jesus Christ. Amen. We might not get caught up to the third heaven right now, but hallelujah, praise God, that date is appointed and one day we will. Amen. And we'll know his grace is sufficient. Thank you for giving me these extra moments. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there's so much in your word you want us to, to know and to understand because we're going to need it in this life's journey. And God, I thank you for the struggles of the Apostle Paul. But I thank you that you were there with him all the way. And you did not forsake him nor desert him nor fail him. And God, help us as individual Christians, help us as a church, regardless of the trials and tribulations that we might face, to know that you'll be with us and that your grace will see us through. God, help us to stay focused on your Son and upon his gospel. And God, help us to be faithful unto you. And God, I pray that you would use our lives that others will come to faith.
in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. At the end of these services, we have been singing Amazing Grace, number 104. God wants us not only to talk about it and think about it, but he wants us to experience it. And I pray that you're experiencing, first of all, that saving grace that you have come to faith in Christ. If you haven't, he's reaching out his arms to you. Would you believe in him? And I pray that he's giving you that peace and he's giving you strength in times of trials. If God is leading you to respond, whether it's just to simply come and kneel at the altar or make a public profession of faith, as he leads you, would you come? Number 104, let us stand.